It was a simple house, a place of serenity, away from the mad hubbub of the tourist trails. I sat outside in the sunshine and listened while the priest said mass and the tiny congregation of pilgrims sang in honour of Mary. This was where they reckoned she ended her life, Ephesus in Turkey, being looked after by John the Apostle, whose privilege it had been to be entrusted with Mary's care, tasked by Jesus, her beloved son, as he hung on the cross. And they settled there in Ephesus, and the providence is good enough to give some credence to that tradition, making it more than mere legend. So how did it happen? How did the simple peasant nobody from nowhere become the most painted woman in all of history? And literally a global icon for 2,000 years. The Madonna, the one true Madonna. Her story is one more, one very dramatic illustration of the human inability to leave things alone, to leave well alone. That inevitable tendency to add stuff on, to bolt stuff on, to what existed in simplicity but could not be allowed to remain simple. You know how it goes. First, there is a holy person and they say or do holy things so someone feels they ought to build a building in honour of that holy person. And then that becomes a holy place full of holy things. And then there has to be a holy day to mark that holy person. And before you know it, the cult of personality has given birth to myth, legend, superstition and excess. Which combined to make it all but impossible to recapture the ancient innocence of what was there in the first place. Too much has been added and it obscures the simple elegance of the truth. The well-intentioned desire to give someone their place spills over into vulgar excess and bloated inflated notions of who that person was and what their place might be in the overall story. Mary has suffered from that more than most. Cottage industries have grown up around her name, her alleged appearances, be they at Lourdes or Fatima or wherever. And statues dedicated to her and depictions of her sweetness have developed a life of their own, a merit of their own. It all creates an unhealthy distraction, some might feel, from Christ himself, who for some people is now best reached best accessed, they think, through the medium of the intercessions of Mary. And the world of art has served to aggravate that deflection of attention from the person of Christ. The books tell us that the earliest such images date from early, the early Christian church and are found in the catacombs of Rome. Representation of Mary had become more common after she was proclaimed God-bearer at the Council of Ephesus in 431. For over a thousand years through the Byzantine, medieval and early Renaissance periods, the Madonna was the most often produced pictorial artwork. Many of the most renowned painters and sculptors in the history of art have turned their skills towards the creation of Madonna images. Artists like da Vinci, Michelangelo, Raphael, Bellini, Caravaggio, Rubens, Salvador Dali, Henry Moore. So the cultural cards are, as it were, stacked in her favour. And it's small wonder that she came to have such a place in the devotional lives of so many Christians of a Roman Catholic persuasion.
That cultural shift was given additional currency by the theological debate that whirled around the role and eventually the person of Mary. It was one of those adventures into logic of a kind that takes you to the edges of good sense because you don't quite know when to or even like to say enough, no more. The theological leaps and bounds that gathered around the story of Mary took the church into some pretty bizarre territory. Mary, forever virgin, for reasons of logical necessity. Mary, sinless in her time of conception, for reasons of logical necessity. Mary, assumed into heaven in a unique and special way, for reasons of logical necessity. Nothing about her could be normal, ordinary. And this is because she was the mother of Jesus. No debate about that. Who was the son of God, which makes her, by some calculations, the mother of God. And though you can see where people are coming from on this one, you may not think it's a journey that takes them to a very good place. Certainly the Protestant reformers sought very hard to resist the upgrading of Mary to be queen of heaven into some kind of special being with special abilities to bring us close to God. And while caricature and distortion had a part to play in the reformers' often robust dissing of Mary's role, their eagerness to rein in the superstition and the shaky assumptions was a healthy corrective to that over-the-top veneration that had come to be the norm. Instead of being a symbol of tenderness, faith and trust, Mary became a sticking point in Christian unity and remains so to some degree still. While the church may have stumbled towards superstition back in those early days, it's taking rather longer to totter towards togetherness and hardened attitudes too, and understanding of Mary are partly responsible for that. The shame of all of this is that the church and the people who guide its thinking in the Protestant tradition are so hesitant about embracing anything to do with Mary for fear of seeming to be on the turn that she remains a neglected resource. A neglected resource as a spiritual example whose story builds real potential for inspiration pious reflection and should be used as such. Her story gives us opportunity to reflect on the crucial, profound, influential role, indeed is it not a calling, of motherhood and the important part a mother plays in shaping the life, the thinking and the character of her children, bringing them to God, literally and metaphorically, nurturing them in the things of the faith. At every baptism, promises are made Undertakings are given, and the challenge is to carry through on that by example, by determining priorities, by saying, this is who we are, and this is what we do, and I take your life in that direction because I love you and I love the God who loves you. I will be eternally grateful to my mother for starting me down that road, making sure I attended Sunday school, putting the values and the truths of the faith at the centre of how I saw the world and myself, teaching me to love the Bible and the story it told. Now, hers was a pretty definite and particular brand of Christianity, and she may not always have approved of the looser, kinder, gentler faith I have embraced. 
but she put me in the right place and strongly adhered to the conviction that having God in your life is transforming and enlightening and glorious. And I'm grateful for that. Mothers can play a big part in helping their children to believe that to be the case. Whatever Mary did, she helped her son understand himself to be a child of God. Someone whose allegiance and loved were, love were owed to the God who cared for him. She is also upheld as a fabulous example of humility and obedience. Not the most appreciated nor sought after of the graces. Surprised by God as his chosen vessel, disturbed and puzzled that it should be she who has given this amazing calling and aware that the responsibility carries with it the potential for heartbreak, humbly she accepts the call and offers her heart and her life in obedience to God's mysterious purposes. People are always surprised and humble to be approached to serve as elders within the life of the church. That's a good thing. In my experience, no one I've ever asked to, to approach for this leadership role has ever said, oh, I was wondering why it took you so long to ask me. And if they had said that, I would have been wondering about the mistake we had clearly made. Similarly, I would be very anxious about someone who with huge amounts of ego and self-confidence offered themselves for ministry, wondering why it's been such a long time coming to someone as clearly gifted and talented as they are. Someone so obviously they see it suited to the work. Invariably, when the call of God comes to a man or a woman to explore that kind of Christian service, there is a sense of surprise and doubt at their worthiness or their abilities. A fitting humility before the call of God, as there was with Mary. Why me, Lord? But when that call comes, as unlikely as it feels, the key thing is the obedience with which the call is embraced. And Mary, hesitant and meek, nonetheless offers the classic key response. Let it be to me according to thy will. Let it be to me according to thy will. That's the right answer. I'm scared and shocked and I feel unworthy, but let it be to me according to thy will. That's the kind of humble obedience and trust that changes the world. Mary, diffident and shocked, nonetheless sets the bar for all who are summoned to some service by the touch of God upon their shoulder. However inconvenient, perplexing and unwelcome that call might seem, let it be to me according to thy will. These are words that make miracles possible. Bring God to unlikely places. And for that grace of heart alone, Mary is to be honoured, her example treasured, her trust in God emulated and sought after in our story. Here indeed, Mary inspires the church. <laughs>